You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. Peace be with you, church. Today's scripture reading is Genesis 1, 1 through 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. For he founded it upon the waters, and he established it upon the seas. And who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? The one who has not sworn deceitfully nor lifted up his soul to idols. Lift up your heads, all ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, all ye gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word works. It goes out and it would not return to you void. We thank you that we can enter into your gates as your people who have been shaped by your word with thanksgiving into your courts with praise. We can be thankful unto you and we can bless your name for you are good. Your mercy is everlasting and your truth Your truth endures for all, all generations. And Lord, so we extol you, we magnify you, we adore you, we we worship you. Because you are God. And everything that has breath should worship you. Now speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, good morning, friends and family. If you are a first-time guest here, I just want to say welcome. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the joy of bringing a word to you today. If you are a member of Sojourn, what's up, what's popping, what's crackalacking, I hope you are doing well today. And I pray that a word would be spoken or a song song that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. Uh, Today we have uh, 
uh, wonderful uh, kickoff to our new series called Sacred. Uh, and this series is actually going to cover uh, the book of Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And so for the next 11 weeks, right up to Advent, um, we are going to slowly walk through the first three books uh, or chapters, excuse me, in the book of Genesis. We are going to slow down and just walk through it and just march through it. The book of Genesis is foundational um, to Christians and how uh, we understand uh, the world. We also see baked into the book of Genesis these uh, major themes that come up all through the Bible, this theme of, of God uh, and creation, the theme of uh, the fall and, and Jesus and restoration. They all are kind of whispered and all are uh, foundationally laid um, in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1 through 3, it's also going to help us to see themes such as God's goodness, the sacredness of humanity, the importance of place, and it's going to help us to break from this kind of uh, platonic dualism, this kind of uh, belief maybe that, that God, uh, that there's something wrong with our body or something wrong with creation, that there is, that it's not good, that we should not pay attention to these things, that we should just simply be a spiritual uh, beings. Now, I do want to warn you that this series will not focus on the debate of how old the earth is. So if you're just hoping that we're going to settle that problem and start arguing about uh, old earth versus young earth and all that, this is not the series for you. While there is a place for that debate, um, that isn't what forms us. And that isn't what reforms us. And I don't believe that that is what the Holy Spirit intended us to, to take away from the first opening chapters. Instead, we're going to look at how the book of Genesis helps us to answer some really important questions like, why are we here? What is the meaning of life? And how do we flourish as Christians in a falling world while enjoying the goodness that this world has to offer? If there's a grounding text for our series, it will be Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, which says, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. And in grounding ourselves in this verse, I hope that it will remind us that while sin has left a stain on everything in God's good creation, that it hasn't undone goodness. Too often we start at Genesis chapter 3 and we we miss the goodness of God. We miss the goodness of creation. Hannah Anderson in her book on discernment says this, the goal of discernment is not simply to avoid the evil that is in this life. It is to learn what is good so that we might embrace and enjoy it. And just like the book of Ecclesiastes begins to help us to, to see that there are things that, that what God has created is, is good. And when we put God at the center of our lives, we can enjoy these things. In the same way, Genesis is going to help us to be able to discern what is good and then to embrace it and enjoy it the way that God intended. So here's some things that we're going to cover 
in the first three chapters. Today, we're going to look at the God who created the universe, which essentially is going to be a doctrine about God. And then next week, we're going to cover Genesis 1 through 25, and we're going to talk about this sacred creation. For two weeks after that, we're going to talk about humanity or what we call the Imago Dei. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does it mean to have dignity as humans and this cultural mandate that God has uh, called us to, to create a beauty and to multiply it? Then we're going to have a sermon on rest. We're going to look at why the Sabbath was instituted and modeled and why it's important. And then a sermon on mission and then on our sacred responsibility. We're also going to have a sermon on uh, the meaning of, of marriage as well as community. And we're going to end by looking at the fall and how it impacts us, which is going to set us up really well for our Advent series, which is the rumors of the Messiah. And we're going to look at Old Testament passages in uh, the Old Testament that point us to Jesus as he uh, comes in the New Testament, beginning with Genesis 3.15. So put simply, here's my prayers for the series. My prayer is that God, through his word, that he would ground us in his goodness and his glory. My prayer is that God would give us a deeper understanding of the gospel story. Pretty much every single week, every single sermon is going to look at how uh, God created and what he intended to do with creation, how sin marred us, but how God restores what he created and intended to create through Christ Jesus. My prayer is also is that the book of Genesis will ground us in the values of truth, of be- in beauty and in goodness, that God would form and reform us related to the sacredness of creation, especially what it means to be human, what it means to be embodied, to have a body and a soul. Then my prayer is that God will help us to value place as well as his global mission. So I'm going to pray again before we jump in. Uh, This time, the prayer probably will be a little shorter. Let's pray. Uh, Even now, Father God, breathe on us through your word. Capture our attention for your name's sake and glory. Amen. Hey, thanks to discoveries made by uh, Edwin Hubble in the 1920s as well as uh, Albert Einstein's uh, theory of general relativity, uh, we have come uh, to see that the universe is expanding and accelerating at rapid rates uh, due to an inexplicable force that they refer to as, uh, science is referred to as dark energy or dark matter. In fact, In 1998, two scientists won the Nobel Peace Prize after discovering the dazzling reality that the further a galaxy is away from Earth, the faster it moves away. The further a galaxy is from Earth, the faster it moves away or it accelerates, and it seems to be doing that more and more. The bottom line is that the universe is overwhelmingly made up of things that cannot be seen. In fact, the stars, the planets, the galaxies that can be detected make up only 4%, 4% of the universe, 
according to astronomers. The other 96% is made up of substances that cannot be seen with the human eye or that are not easily comprehended. How amazing is that? Somebody said, what? Sounded like Lil John back there. <laughs> yes, that is absolute, what? Absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. That the creation uh, that God has made is so vast, so beautiful, that it seems like every century there are, are more and more discoveries that are, that are absolutely mind boggling. And to understand that only a small percentage of creation we can actually see. And I believe that this reality points us to an intelligent designer. It points us to an amazing creator. It points us to one who is almighty, but listen to this, one who is also majestic, marvelous, and fun. How fun must God be to, to create these things and to allow us to kind of peel back over time just how intricate and wonderful things are made. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, we read that in the beginning, God, Elohim, which is the majestic name of God, created the heavens and the earth. He created the universe. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. There's no better opening to, to a book. So poetic, so rich, so beautiful. It reminds me of Psalm 90, in which the psalmist tells us that even before the beginning, there was God. Before time, there was God. The psalmist says, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You are Yahweh. You are the self-existent one. You are the great I am. The book of Genesis means the beginning, and it was received by a group of sojourners, by a group of wanderers who were promised a land in Canaan, who was promised rest after experiencing 400 years of enslavement. And while they are learning to live by faith in this God who delivered them from Egypt, they received this book from Moses through the Holy Spirit, which explains the origin of the universe, but even more so who this God is who saved them out of Egypt because he is not the polytheistic God of the Egyptians. He is a, a different God and he is one. My hope today is that you will receive confidence just as Moses intended the children of Israel to receive in the wilderness when they received this book, that you will receive confidence in your wandering, in your sojourning, in your exile as Christians who are living in the world. I believe that what we need for our journey in 2021 it's not less of God, but more of God. 
I believe that what we need in our journey through this pandemic is not less of God, but more of God. I believe that what we need in times of political unrest is more of God. I believe that what we need in times of stress is is more of God. And what we need is the one true and living God. The Bible is about this powerful and personal God, this transcendent and eminent God, this God who is able to speak stars into existence, this God who sees exploding stars that we do not see, and yet who knows the very numbers of hairs that are on our head or not. 32 times, 32 times in chapter one, by my count in the CSB, is God's name mentioned. So if I had to give the whole sermon away, it would simply be this. Today, I want to show you that this God who created the universe is one God in three persons. And that these three persons have loved each other for all eternity. And it is out of love and with love and through love that they created the universe. And that God created you. When I say that there is one God in three persons, we know that this is what is often called the doctrine of the Trinity. It is a term that was coined by a Christian thinker named Tertullian. And while the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, the idea of God being three in one is clearly throughout and explicitly uh, seen in the New Testament. But the doctrine of Trinity is even hinted at in the first chapter of the Bible, and even in the first two verses. In chapter 1, verse 26, we see that God says, let us make man in our own image. God, this triune God, this three-in-one God creates man. He fashions man from the dust of the ground. And so when we say Trinity, what do we mean? When we say Trinity, we mean that there is one true God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That each person, listen to this, each person is fully God. God, the Father, the Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. And yet there is one God. The three persons are equal in nature, power, will, and glory. And they share in one divine essence. If I was to say that in a shorter form, it would be this. And you can repeat this after me. There is one God. God is three persons. Each person is equally God. In Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 2, we see the triune God at work. Tomorrow morning, when you arise, you'll receive kind of an overview of the book of Genesis and what we're going to be covering each week. You'll also see a resource list that we will provide of books that you can order and read and that help shape um, our sermons. And one of those resources is the book Delighting in a Trinity by Michael Reeves. I won't be able to get into all the nuances of the Trinity. If you want to learn more about the Trinity, it is a short, extremely beautifully written book. And I want to encourage you um, to read that while we read through the, uh, through the book of Genesis. But in uh, the, the 
first two verses, we are met with this triune God. Early Christians or early, excuse me, Jewish people, persons would not have been able to maybe articulate it as we articulate it. Uh, But coming uh, into the New Testament with the revelation of Jesus, we see that it becomes more clear. In the beginning, God, the Father, creates. God, the Father, creates. And then we also see that the Holy Spirit is present as the Holy Spirit hovers over the water. So we see the Father, we see the Spirit of God hovering, um, and we um, also see the Son. And you say, how do we see Jesus in the opening verses of Genesis? Well, according to John chapter 1, verse 1, and John chapter 1, verse 14, John writes this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. If we're reading from the Old Testament back, uh, from the New Testament back into the Old Testament, we see that when God said, when God spoke, when his breath went out, when his words uttered from his mouth, that it was Jesus at work in creation. In fact, Paul picks up this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 7, when he writes of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. Everything we're going to read about from Genesis chapter 1, 3 through 25 next week was created by Jesus in heaven. The stars, as well as the angelic host and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And listen to this and for him. He is before all things and by him, all things hold together. In his excellent book on the Trinity, Michael Reeves connects the opening verses of Genesis to Jesus's baptism in Matthew chapter three, verse 16 through 17. There's some good theology here. Listen to this. Michael writes this. The way the Father, Son, and Spirit related at Jesus' baptism was not a one-time only event. The whole scene is full of echoes of Genesis 1. There at creation, the Spirit also hovered dove-like over waters. And just as the Spirit, after Jesus' baptism, would send him out into the lifeless wilderness, so in Genesis 1. The Spirit appears as the power by which God's word goes out into the lifeless void. In the very beginning, God creates by his word the word that would later become flesh. And he does so by sending out his word in the power of his spirit or breath. That's good theology. Amen. Makes you tremble, doesn't it? How beautiful is that? That this God who created the world is this God who is before time, eternally existing in three persons as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that brings us to a question. Like, like what was he doing before he created? And that's right on time. What was he doing (laughs) before he created? What was this eternal God doing before he spoke, let there be light. And the reason why this is 
important is because it helps us to understand this God who is self-existent and self-sufficient. Because if he created out of boredom, if he created out of need, then that means he's not perfect. That means he's not self-sufficient. If God is in heaven as we worship him doing like this, as Johnny is singing and the praise team is going and he's just like, I need more, I need more, I need more to be satisfied, I need more, give me more, give me more, Johnny, one more verse, one more verse. And if he is depending on our worship to make him happy, then God, God isn't perfect. But if God created out of perfection and he was doing something before creation that points to the fact that he did not create us out of need, then it changes the way we read the creation narrative. Well, in John chapter 17, we read the words of Jesus and the words of Jesus shows us what was happening for eternity's past. Jesus, just before going on the cross, he prays this prayer, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory. Listen to this, which you have given me because you loved me. You loved me before the world's foundation. Before the world was created in eternity's past, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was outpouring their love within uh, God as one between each other. The father was loving his son paternally and perfectly for all eternity's past. The father and the spirit, the, the son and the spirit to the father, in all different ways, there was this experience of love. In John chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus shows us that this just wasn't a one-way love. It says, the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus loves the Father as well. When we get to John chapter 4, it's 1 John chapter 4, it's interesting that it says that God is love. That is who he is. He is love. Why does this matter? Well, it matters for a number of reasons. For some of us in here, when we read Genesis chapter one, or when we read the Bible, we see him as God, simply as the almighty, the almighty. And God is the almighty. But the problem is, is that when we see him as the almighty and we separate that from his communicable and incommunicable attributes, what we see and what we know, what we experience about him, uh, when we separate it from that, we can, we can conclude that God is just this almighty God who judges us when we fail to meet his standards. We can even see him maybe as this impersonal God who kind of started the world and kind of set it like a a clock and then let it go. And he's sitting back and he's watching his creation kind of become undone and destroy itself. But when we understand that this God who fashioned the world with his voice and who formed humanity with his hands, did so out of generosity and out of love. It changes the way that we relate to him. 
that he did not create us because he needed us. He was perfectly satisfied, but he created us because he is a loving God and for a specific reason. A.W. Pink says this, God was under no constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create, that he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part, caused by nothing outside of himself, determined by nothing but his own goodwill, Ephesians 1, 11. He created simply for his manifested glory. God is no gainer, even from our worship. He was in no need of the external glory of his grace, which arises from his redeemed. For he is glorious enough in himself without that God gains nothing from us. But why? Why would this God, who is perfectly satisfied within himself, create this cosmos? If we go back to Colossians chapter 1, which speaks of Jesus, it says this, for everything was created by him. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. Listen to this. And for him. He is before all things and by him, all things are held together. Jesus is not only the origin of creation, not only has he created, but Jesus is the goal of creation. Everything that was created, everything that God spoke into existence, when he formed man from the dust of the ground, when he formed you and knew you before you were in your mother's womb, as Johnny read uh, earlier in Psalm 139, all of it was created for the glory of Jesus. And all of it is being held together by Jesus. And here's the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus. The amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that that those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the son of God, believing that he is the second Adam, that he did what Adam could not do, that he did what Israel could not do, that he did what you could not do, and that he lived a perfect life for us so that we can have eternal life through him to the glory of God. When we believe that, when we place our hope and our trust on his finished works and not on our own, we become co-heirs of Jesus Christ. Meaning that if all of creation was created by God for his son, Psalm chapter 2, if the, the, the telos of creation is Jesus Christ reigning as the universal king over all that he has created, over every tribe, nation, and tongue, when God saves us, we become a part of his family and we receive everything that Jesus receives from the Father. Every blessing that is said about Jesus is said about us. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, we read, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. And listen to that 
familial language, children. We are children to a heavenly father. God is our loving father. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one from whom all things are for and from, we become co-heirs with Christ as we suffer in this world for him. As we share in his sufferings. The same father, the same love that the father shares with his son for all eternity becomes ours in Christ Jesus. John 17, Jesus prays this, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with will be in them and I may be in them. Same love that the father loved Jesus with for all eternity. We get to experience when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, a perfect, impenetrable love, a love in which nothing can separate us from, a love for which death cannot separate us from, a love in which angels cannot separate us from, a love in which our own sin cannot separate us from. This eternal, perfect, overflowing, generous love becomes ours. It becomes ours. I want to close by reflecting on Genesis 1 and 2. It says, now, it's God who creates the heavens and the earth and who fashioned it from love and with love. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. God has created and there's a formlessness and an emptiness to it. Darkness is covering the surface of the watery depths. It's a picture of, of chaos and waters just uh, exploding and, and waving. And while this is happening, the spirit of God is hovering over the suf- surface of the water like a dove hovers over its children. In the darkness, the Spirit of God is waiting on God to speak, waiting on God to give the next command so that there would be peace to the waters. And I just want to close with two quick applications. And the first is for the person who is not a Christian in here, who does not have a relationship with this eternal triune God who has existed in perfect harmony and love with one another. You do not have a relationship with this triune God through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you today to open your heart to the Holy Spirit if he is hovering over your heart now. If you feel formless, if you feel empty, If you've been led here because you are shrouded in darkness and you know that you need hope, you know that there is another way. Today, I want to tell you that there is another way, and that way is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Life, no one comes to the Father but through him. 
The Holy Spirit wants to breathe life into your separated and dead heart by giving you, by pouring out in your heart. Romans chapter five, the spirit of God pours out in our hearts the love of God so that we may respond to him by giving our life to him. If you're empty today, I want to encourage you to turn to Jesus. And even if you say, well, I'm full I want to let you know that without Jesus, you are empty. You are being deceived for life is only found in Christ Jesus. You were created to know him. You were created to be loved by him. You were created to live for him. And I want to invite you to come to know him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, the one who does not love God does not know God because God is love. And the God that he's talking about is not some abstract God. It's this triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit that I've been speaking about. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice. You can say that you love God, but if you do not love this God who sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for the world's sin, you do not know God. And you are formless empty and living in darkness. And just maybe the God who created this universe today has invited you here, has invited you to watch or to listen so that he could recreate you, so that he can rebirth you. And he wants to recreate you and he wants to rebirth you because he loves you. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Second, for those of you who are Christians, you may find yourself today in a dark night of the soul. You may find yourself feeling formless, internally chaotic. You may find yourself stuck in your walk with Jesus. You may find yourself having a hard time loving the people of God, loving your enemies, loving your roommate, loving your friend, loving your spouse. You may even be here today and finding it hard to love yourself, to forgive yourself. And I want to encourage you today to allow the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who is hovering within your heart, who is indwelling his church and you to allow him to breathe life into those areas, to surrender your heart to him, to come to an end of yourself by looking to Jesus for hope and for salvation and for strength. The Spirit of God can breathe on your heart and give you the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, peace, joy, kindness, gentleness, and long-suffering. 
You don't have to live and you weren't created to live with unforgiveness and bitterness and habitual lust. God wants to free you through his spirit and you can ask his spirit, Holy Spirit, breath of God, breathe on me. Revive my dead bones. Give life to me. Give me comfort. Give me protection. Give me a softness of heart. And even as we close, I want you to imagine, no matter who you are, if you're not in Christ and you're open to learn what it means to live in Christ or you are in Christ, I just want you to imagine the Spirit of God just hovering over you, inviting you to experience abundant life through Christ Jesus. And as he hovers, I want you to understand that this God who fashioned the world, this almighty God, is the most loving person in all of the universe. He loves you more than anyone else could ever love you. And he loves you in spite of you, in spite of your deepest and darkest sin and secrets. He loves you with a perfect love and he wants to make you his. And the only way that you are made right with him is not by trying harder, is not by memorizing Bible verses, is not by doing religious acts but it's by looking to his son, Jesus Christ, from with whom all things were created and to whom all glory is due. Pray, Jesus, fill my heart with hope. Fill my heart with love. Fill my heart with you. Fill my heart with purpose. Create me a clean heart and renew in me the right spirit. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.